Bibles, open them to Judges. Judges chapter 14. And I think it ties nicely together in relationship to laying the foundation of one of the ways that God reveals your desire to go all in, that relationship not based on your performance, tied into the reality that cooperation with God or what we would call obedience in Romans chapter 12 is so needful and necessary. This doesn't, our relationship with God, although it is a relationship, is not passive, it's active. So many can misunderstand the reality of God working through us as if it doesn't have anything to do with us, and that's not true. And once we have those two things mastered, or at least we lay the foundation for them, I want to talk to you and let's learn from the Holy Spirit today what it means to finish well. Finish well. Some of you have been thinking about finishing the finish line. It's up ahead. We, wanna, we want to be like Paul, who could say at the end of his life that he, what, he has run his race, his race well. But there's a way to end well, and there's a way not to end well. And I think the example here in the positive will be, how can we finish well? What are some ingredients uh, in finishing well through the life of Caleb? So let's pray and give God a chance to open our hearts and let's see if we can learn some things from Caleb's life. God, again, we are thankful we live in a, a beautiful, wonderful country and have the environment where we can come for Bible study and then even leave with the ability to go grab a bite to eat and enjoy some fellowship and getting to know one another and talking through things that you're doing in our lives and get to know someone for the first time. And I rejoice and very thankful for the many churches that are here and represented. Um, of course, many from our own fellowship family at Calvary, but many that are not, that is a part of the larger family in the, of God, the one that we're going to be in heaven with. And for that, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful, Lord, that you would yoke us and partner us together in the work of the ministry. Uh, no matter what church we might be connected to, we're connected to the church. And as we run our race, a picture you often give us in the Bible, I pray that we could learn some ingredients from our friend here in the life of, the life of Caleb, Lord. That we could learn what you have for us, the work that's laid before us, and how you would want us to grow in your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of us have been raised on this phrase, it's not how you start, it's, oh, so you've heard that before, and it's true, isn't it? I'm not, who sh I'm not sure who shared that quote, but it's becoming more and more real to me as I see the years pass by in a very rapid pace. And I see my children grow up, and I see my children have children, and we launch them off into their adult, their adult years. This is becoming more and more important to me, that at the end of my life, whatever that might be, should it be today or whatever God has for me, that I want to be able to say that I've run my race well. And it really isn't, it isn't really how I started some 23 years ago walking with the Lord. It's how I finish that matters. And we're learning, aren't we, as followers of Jesus, that there are pits and perils to finishing well. There are traps and temptations. There are great difficulties that we face. You know, the Christian life is a race that must not only be run, but run well, run with excellence. It's not just enough to get in the race. It's not just enough to, to jump in, but we need to do it well and we must finish. It's a theme throughout the scriptures. It, it's not enough, guys. It's not enough to lead the pack for many years only to stumble a few steps from the finish line. And those of you that follow sports know that all throughout the years there are stories of tragedies and accidents and, and even things that were planned. I remember that, that one ice skating situation. Remember that ice skating between those two gals? I forget their name. Kerrigan? Was it Nancy Kerrigan? And, and there was this plot and then the, you know, she did so well and then they even plotted to take her out. You know, the devil is plotting to take you out. It's not just a slip-up, and it's not just a mistake. The enemy of our souls is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We need to finish well. 
Now with your Bibles open perhaps to Joshua, I might have said Judges, but Joshua chapter 14, hold your place there because you're looking at Samson and go, that dude didn't fin- finish well. Well, that could have been, that could have been two studies together. <laughs> I was looking at it in my Bible and I'm like, wait a minute, it says Samson there, what's up? Uh, but I have done a Bible study of, uh, on the life of Samson, as Pastor Eric has as well, where you, you want to finish well. You, I think that I titled the message that I did with his life, uh, Wasted Potential. But that's a Bible study for another time. The reality for us here is that our hearts are desiring, you know, that life of, of throwing ourselves completely into the things of God, or what we're calling today being all in, is so vital that we realize what we're doing. We're in a race. Um, so if you're in Joshua, we're in the right place now, hold your place there and let's move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 just to see one picture of running a race compared to the life of the believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll draw your attention there to verse 24. It's a race that we're to run. We're not just to run it, we're to run it well, to finish. The whole goal is to finish, to finish well. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may have obtained it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, And bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We, none of us want the banner of disqualification in our life. I think of being here in Colorado Springs, where you have the Olympic Training Center here. There there are people devoted to excel in excellence with everything that they have to obtain a perishable crown. I mean, it's a cool, they get a gold medal, pretty cool. But you're going to get the old gold medal, you're going to be on TV, and then that's it. It's going to put into a case somewhere, and you're going to go get a job. That's what it looks like. It's great to, to be able to do that, and very few people have been able to translate that into some commercial success, but the reality is, is that's a temporary goal. It's perishable. The goal itself will not last forever. And yet, even with that desire, with, with that commitment, comes exactly what Paul says, I bring my body or I bring my life into subjection so that while I'm running the race, I don't end up disqualified and out of the race. The picture is of a runner, perhaps in the last lap of his life, every muscle straining, the goal is in sight. He's not looking back. He's not going to trip or be disqualified. He's going to make it. And it's a race we must run hard, men. A race that we must run long and we must run wisely in the strength of the Lord. Along the same lines, Paul is addressing the elders, the men that are leading the church in Ephesus. And let me read it to you in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He speaks to them and says, I, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself or of any value, but I want to finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the grace of God. And and men, I want to testify before you today, between you and me, I want to finish my race well. And I want to finish with excellence. And I want to finish it with joy. And I want to finish it as an example that my life, whatever it might be that comes my way, that I would not be disqualified. That is not why I committed my life to Jesus. Not why I accepted the forgiveness of sin. It is not why when I was saved, I cast my whole lot, everything that I was, my marriage, my son at the time, my future family, I I cast my whole lot in for the Lord. I didn't just give him a little bit of my life. I didn't just give him a little bit of my time. Everything, I I was all in. And I commend that to you today. I want to be able to cross the finish line. And for many of you, I know you personally, I want to cross the finish line with you. Personally, I want want us to make make sure we make it all the way. And for the ones that I don't know yet, and I might have the privilege of meeting and getting to know you in a deeper way in the future, I want to cross the line. And for the ones that we won't have that opportunity to be as close as you are with some people, I want us all that name the name of Jesus Christ, I want us to finish the race. I don't want this to fall off. And I think we all know people by name 
or by faith that aren't with us today or aren't with walking with the Lord today because they didn't finish their race. Because somewhere along the way, they were disqualified. The pages of the Bible sadly are filled with many who did not cross the finish line. Many who didn't make it. Many that had great potential. For us in our congregation right now, we've just embarked on a study in 1 Samuel. And we're just beginning to meet as a church for the first time this man by the name of Saul. And if you examine his life so closely, you examine his life and the ingredients that you see already when he's serving his dad, looking for the donkeys and such, that this man had great potential. There were so many great qualities in him that I could see how God would put his hand upon Saul. I can see that. I can see in his faithfulness. I can see how he would be loyal to his father. So many characteristics. And yet, you can also see at the very same time, he'll take a breath in of faithfulness and three breaths out of just, what are you thinking? And of course, those of you that are Bible students, you know how his life unfolded. He's the very spear thrower, supposedly representing God. It's so important to make it to the finish line, man. That's why today in Judges, not Judges, Joshua, maybe the Lord's saying something, (laughs) sorry, in Joshua chapter 14, we want to look at the life of a man named Caleb. We meet him at the later part of his life, which is a good thing because he's finishing his race well. You want to meet these guys, I believe in every, I believe that churches today, personally, just a biblical view of churches today should be very filled with someone of every generation. I don't think that it's wise or even of the Lord where a church is just unigenerational, just going over one generation because the young need those that are not so young. Well, you guys are, old, you guys, are guys. They, we need, they need old people in their life. They need people with wisdom, with some mileage on them to run ideas by and say, what do you think? And well, you know, when I was your age, yeah, we need to hear that. Because like 70 years ago, you were already. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We need to hear that. Sure, I know that you were playing Atari 2600. No, I was playing Atari 2600. So I know that you guys were thinking about video games, but we need to hear what it was like when you used to dial the phone. What was it like when you dialed the phone? Because you experienced things that were very important in living through the changes in generations. And now, of course, you know, for me, it was, uh, even as I see so many younger people in our congregation, they need me in their lives. And what I have to share with them at 46 years of age and what I've experienced, even though I'm not playing all the fancy video games, I couldn't keep up with my kids and I couldn't do all the stuff. They were too many buttons. It's just too, when I played video games, it was one button. Just one button. It was orange. You knew which one it was. It was one button. I don't know what to do all these and put something on your head and talk to people. I I can't give you advice on uh, how to play Xbox, but I could tell you what the Bible has to say about your life. And I got 23 years of experience. Yeah, you go, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I may not understand Xbox, but I do understand the Bible. And I have a life experience that in my age, in this age, there are people that I can speak into their lives. But I also need people that have gone before me. I need people. I need the younger people to remind me that God's still doing a fresh work on the earth today, that he is still saving souls. I need to have that privilege of doing baby dedications and seeing young families have children as it's been many years since I've had young family. And I need to be able to to remind them that God has a future and a hope for those little babies, that that is God's plan, that God desires children to be born into godly families, that I know it's hard and difficult, and I know it's just constantly draining and dragging on every area of life, but your kids are precious to the Lord, your kids are precious to you, and they're important to the future of the church. But I also need to hear somebody that has great-grandchildren to tell me what it's like in their lives. I, I need to hear, and we need to have all the generations together so that we can grow together. There is wisdom from before us and there is going to be wisdom to be passed down behind us and wisdom all around with us and so you're important i share all that to say whatever generation you're in you are very important to the plan of god in this place in your race you might just be right now putting on your shoes to get into the race learning how to tie them you're not even you're such a new believer that we've got to get you shoes with velcro that's fine Everybody has to start there. That's one of the humbling parts, isn't it, about walking with Jesus. 
You, you, everybody has to start at the beginning. And, and we become new babes in Christ. And we don't like to be described as babyish. But that's exactly what we are as new believers. We've got to start in the beginning and learn how to put our shoes on, learn how to tie our shoes. And then, and then we get those stages. And Timothy, Paul tells Timothy these things, the different older men, younger men. He shares that there's an important, there is an importance placed on every generation. So please, those of you that are younger, don't look down upon those that have gone before you. They may not be able, we may not be able to relate to every new gizmo and gadget that's been thrown your way, which only, by the way, are just temptations and opportunities to rip you off and steal your time. Really, that's all it's become. Um, you know, what I have in my pocket here is stronger than the computer that sent the man to the moon. Isn't that amazing? That, that's, did, didn't the Bible say something about in the end times that knowledge will be increasing? It's right before our eyes. That should stir us to say, whoa, I need to get in the race, man. Uh, if I don't know how to tie my shoes, I need to know how to tie my shoes. If I, if I don't understand where the finish line is, if I, if I don't realize that if I'm running the race and a brother stumbles before me, according to Galatians chapter 6, I need to stop. I need to help that brother up. I need to restore such a one in a sense of meekness and gentleness, considering myself, lest I also be tempted. You know, there's a lot to learn how to run the race. And today I want to give you six things in the life of Caleb, who happens to be a generation. He's at the end of his life. He sees the finish line up ahead. It's right there. And there are six things I want to show you in his life in this section of Scripture as we pick up in verse 6 of Joshua. <laughs> that dude doesn't even know what book of the Bible he's supposed to be in. I know. If I can, if I can teach, then we, God can use any of us. All right, let that be a hope and an encouragement to you, for goodness sake. Verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. You, you guys know, you remember, the word was very encouraging. There are giants in the land, but we don't care. Let's go take the giants and let's go take them on. I mean, this is the kind of guy you want to hang out with. He's just like, let's just do it. God said we're supposed to go in, and I know they're big, and I know they're bigger than us, and I know it's hard, but God said, so let's do it. And that was what was in his heart. Verse 8, nevertheless, uh, you know, that's never a good, that's hardly ever a good word in the Bible. <laughs> nevertheless. My brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Let me just pause here for one second. I really believe this is a word from the Lord. There is power in the words that you use to either build someone up or tear them down. Oh, don't misunderstand me when I use the power as if I've jumped into the false teaching of the word faith movement. That's not what I mean. You have the ability, and so do I, to encourage a brother or discourage a brother. You can uplift your wife or you can bum her out. You can build your kids up or you can tear them down. And I, I see this here, this word, how 10 people would plunge an entire nation into wilderness wandering of faithfulness, just 10, and, and they weren't just any 10 people, they were 10 leaders 10 men of influence. You know, we've already seen what God can do with 11 men of influence. And you can add Paul to 12 and then those that followed. How God can do a great work that you and I are saved today because of those 11 men that followed Jesus, that carried the torch of the gospel. But now we remember, Caleb's looking back and he goes, you know, I came back with some encouraging words and the other 10 guys, and I love how gracious he is, my brethren. It's not like he sold them out. Uh, it's not like he blamed them. He's just stating the facts. Sometimes you just got to state the facts. Things would have been okay if those guys, you know, my, my brothers, they just blew it. They blew it. They, they didn't even get, you know, at 40 years old, they're disqualified. At 40 years old, they just plunged the nation into unbelief. And the whole generation died in the wilderness because they didn't trust God. I don't want that in my life. I don't want to perish wandering around one with no, no direction aimlessly only to find out that I, if I would have stepped out in faith, the Lord would have done something. He would have kept his word. And so that's what he says here. Just be careful with your words, guys, please. Verse 9. 
So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So he's 85 years old. I don't know if his voice changed. You know, the Lord has kept me alive for 40. You know, I don't know. I don't know where he was, but I'm sure the young people were tripping out on him as they're watching him, and they're like, who is this guy? I mean, not that I don't think they knew who Caleb was. I think Caleb was an influential, powerful man of God all throughout the wilderness wandering. I think God used him as a discipler, as an encourager. I think men, young men and old men alike, sought him out and go, man, I want what you have. I want that. And they look at their life and they go, where's my life? And I don't believe Caleb was sinless. I don't believe he was some supernatural man. I think he was this man that was, hey, if God said it, I'm in. That's my life. I have nothing else. I have no plan B. This, this is it. This is what I have. And you go, well, what's going to happen if this? And what's going to happen if this? I don't, I'm not even thinking that way. This is what I'm called to. And I think he was a very influential man. So there he is. He's kept me alive. This is his testimony. You want to hear testimonies from men like this? He has kept me alive ever since, verse 10, the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I'm strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me. Just as in my strength was then, so is my strength for war, both going in and going out, or excuse me, going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain. You might want to mark that. Give me this mountain. <laughs> he didn't say give me a little plot, an acre, you know, give me a little acre and a fence and a three-bedroom house. This brother's asking for his mountain. I mean, you have a beautiful view right out here. He's like, give me, I mean, think, it just, that's mine. That, that's my, give it, that, why, why is it mine? It's not like I'm trying to take your land or anything. God promised it to me. That's my allotment. I want it. He says, give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in the day how the Anakim were there and the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I'll be able to drive them out as the Lord said. 45, you know what? I, I get this. I'm just like, for 45 years he thought about driving out. He never lost the heart. He, 45, he, he, Caleb, there's another thing because we talked, you know, my first message was about trials and difficulties. I shared a little bit of mine and you stirred up some of the things you've going through and, and we thought about that. But you know, Caleb's trial was wandering in the wilderness as an obedient man. He didn't sin. He, along with Joshua, were the only guys that came back with a good report with faith and ready to go take the land. And because the hearts melted of the people, because the bad report, the judgment of God came upon the nation of Israel and Joshua and Caleb, righteous, godly, faithful men, paid the same price as all the disobedient. And I believe, just on a personal level, if I was in Caleb's shoes, um, that he was thinking about his mountain every day every day maybe he had a little piece of paper and he just like another week you know one of those things where you take four and then you do five and you take four and you do five and you take he's like man when am i going to get my mountain well it's time finally the wilderness wandering's over and there he is i've been waiting for this day i want it this is my finish line you could say i want my mountain i want what's mine in christ i want what's righteous i want what's equitable and maybe you're living in a life right now that's unjust and unfair and you're marking the days and you're marking the weeks. Don't lose heart. The Bible says this, don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart. And I think over 45 years, I'd probably have a few temptations to lose heart. There'll be times where I'm waiting on the Lord very specifically for him to act on my behalf. And I'll tell you, I'll put my head down in the pillow at night and go, I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I want it to happen, but I just don't see it. I don't see the favor of man. I don't see the favor of righteousness. I don't see the favor of justice. I just see a bunch of nonsense that just isn't from the Lord. And I have no power and no control over it except this. The Bible tells me that those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They'll mount up like wings of eagles. That's a promise. I, man, I'm going to wait on you, Lord, because you promised me you're going to strengthen me. And not only that, as I'm waiting on the Lord and I see all this stuff that seems to be against me, you know what the Bible says? I hold on to this promise. The Bible says this, the just shall live by what they see. No, 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 no. I'd be all bummed out, man. I wouldn't even go to sleep. No, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. We live by faith, Paul says, not by sight. That's how we walk. And that's where our strength comes. I think Caleb is living out New Testament truths. I think he's showing us that what a real man looks like. What it looks like. What these New Testament truths look like in a man going through great adversity. And he says, he wants to drive him out. And then in verse 13 it says, Joshua blessed him. Gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba, for Arba was great man among the Anakim. You got to love that phrase. He was a great man. Not anymore, because Caleb came to town and he chased him out. And the land had rest from war. Wow. What an inspiration. What a wonderful man of God that we can hang out with because God has reserved it in the scriptures for us. Caleb, what was his characteristics? How could he spend 45 years of difficulty waiting and at the end of his life say, give me this mountain? Well, let's walk through them real quickly here. Number one, if you're taking notes, one of the things we learn about Caleb here is number one, he remembered and meditated on the right things. He remembered and he meditated on the right things. Only Joshua and Caleb had firsthand experience of the horrible failures of the children of Israel, specifically those that came back with a bad report. And additionally, he went with that whole time of the murmuring, complaining, and wandering, watching the whole first generation die in the wilderness. That had to be a very difficult thing to watch. But he had firsthand experience. How easily his life could have become uh, filled with, I wish I would have, and I wish I could have, and if I only I would have spoken up, and if only I, I, easily he could have settled into that, but he picked up, I think, what Joshua, and if you want to flip back to chapter 1, verse 8, I think Joshua discipled this brother, I think he poured into this brother, and remember when Joshua was going through his concern about going into the promised land, and just really being fearful and concerning, and this was the advice that was given to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8. And I think Caleb lived this. He just stayed in the right zone. You want to run your race well, you need to remember and meditate on the right things. And in verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you will observe to do according to all that's written in it, that you may make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. I think Caleb lived that. And he learned it from Joshua. And what a heritage. If you're going to make it through this season of your life right now, friends, you're going to have to cling to the Word of God. And I don't mean academically. I don't mean that you have to understand all the Hebrew and the Greek and be some Bible scholar. I just mean the very words of God have to be the very words of your life. You're not reading about some distant person that isn't connected to the 21st century. You're reading about the men and women of God who have been set before us as examples to admonish us, to encourage us, to warn us, and to help us. And I count Caleb a friend. And I believe in heaven. Of all the things I'm studying about heaven, I believe in heaven that we're going to know each other. And I believe you're going to know who Caleb is. Because he's going to be walking around with a robe that says, I'm Caleb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think the, the heroes of the faith, you know, whether it's Bible heroes or pe people that have gone before us, you're just going to know who they are, man. You're just, they're going to have that same characteristic too. They're going to have a, a new body. You know, they're going to be, they're going to have a body that's fit for heaven, but they're going to still be the same people. And so Caleb's going to be a trip. I want to meet him. I, I think that that's going to be a fun, hey man, tell me what it was like. You know, we're going to, I don't know how that's all going to go because we're going to have full knowledge and everything, but may, maybe in the dialogues and discussions, just giving God all the glory for the great things he has done not just right now, the things he's doing and will do in heaven, it'll be, man, look what God has done. I mean, it's right, it's true, it's righteous. So in those tough time, friends, you need to know the word of God. Remember it, meditate on it. Number two, what made Caleb so strong? How did he finish his race? He patiently persevered. Patiently persevered. How do we know he was patient? Well, here he is. 
some 40 years later, finally getting his opportunity to gain his inheritance. The Bible doesn't say he's moaning and complaining. The Bible doesn't say he's blaming and and pointing the finger. The Bible doesn't say, oh, I've thrown all these years away. The Bible just says, oh, we're in now? Give me my mountain. That's what he did. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. When it was time, he didn't even have to think, I want my mountain. That's what I want. How do, not only did, did he remember and meditate on the right things, I mean, how do we know that? Because it says right here in verse 9, he's, t- he's quoting Moses. He's, he's quoting the word. He has, as he's thinking through, as he's walking through history, he's quoting the word and he's patient. You know, you have to think with Caleb for a second here, his family died, his friends died, but Caleb is still there. Not even Moses got to experience this. Not even Moses. But Caleb did. And when it came time, all he had is one, he was one track. That's all he had. I want my mountain. How often I see believers quit. They quit trying, they quit serving, they quit abiding. Why? Because they're impatient. They're impatient. I read about a man many years ago that was staking a claim for a gold mine in California. And he went there to make it rich. He dug and he dug and he worked his claim and he worked his claim day after day, week after week, month after month. And he found a little nugget here and there, but nothing like was promised. Nothing like some of his friends found where they found that vein of gold and emptied it out and became multimillionaires. There he was. He just faithfully digging and getting, becoming very frustrated and very impatient. And on one of his trips into the city, he was so mad and he was so drunk that he'd sold his whole claim to a guy at the bar for 50 bucks. He says, I'm done with this. All of his claim, all of his equipment, everything. Uh, 50 bucks was more valuable to him in the moment than going back to work one more day and getting nothing in his mind. All those years of work, all those years of just wasn't worth it anymore. And so the guy that bought the claim, he went right to work. He went into the caves. He began to dig and dig and dig just like the other brother was doing. And in just a few weeks, he hit the mother load. Just a few weeks. That brother that sold his claim for 50 bucks, all he needed was two more weeks. Two more weeks. I see it happen over and over again with those that call upon the name of the Lord. They're so close. They're right there. But something happens. Some issue pops up and they don't patiently persevere. Listen, this isn't something you have to work up in your own. The Bible says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. This is a gift to you from God. Just hang in there. Don't quit. Don't quit your marriage. And I know it's on your mind. And I know it seems hopeless. Don't quit. Don't quit your prodigal kid. I know it's painful and hard. I know the reports are devastating. I know it would be easier way. Don't quit. Don't quit on your church. Maybe things didn't happen out the way you wanted them to. You aren't seeing what you thought was going to happen in that church. And you know, after all, there are hundreds of other churches in town. Don't quit. Believers are led by the Spirit of God. And if you and I are led by the Spirit of God, even the most difficult decisions we make will be made in patience. Not impatience, but in patience. That's a mark of God in your life. Impatience is a mark of the flesh. Be careful. Caleb was patient. Number three, what helped Caleb finish so well? Well, number three, Caleb gave God 100% of his life. Whatever that meant for him and whatever it means for you and me. You go, Ed, where do you see that in the text? Well, look at verse eight. In verse eight, his own testimony was, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, verse 9, surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance. And notice Moses' testimony, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And then notice the final testimony in verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's his testimony. How was he able to finish his race? Because he was wholly followed the Lord. That he was, as we are learning this day, he was all in. He was all in from his testimony. He was all in when Moses testified on him. And you know what the summary of his life was? That brother was all in. I find over, the, over time, the longer that we serve together, the longer that we hang out together, 
that our character flaws start to show up, the weaknesses of who we are and the things that God is obviously working on in our lives. For a while, people don't see them, but the longer you're serving with someone, the longer you're spending time with someone, you come to find out, including your own pastor, not perfect, a lot of work that God's still doing in his life. And just like here, you have friendships here, and some of the stronger friendships here have gone through seasons where you've seen God work things out in your friend's life, and you haven't given up on them, and you haven't pulled away from them. You go, you know what? God's working in his life, and that's great, and, and you need to pray for your friends. You need to pray for the men in this room, and we need to pray that God is going to work those things out in your life. But this is something I also see, and, and I'm just going to lay it out for you so you don't do this. Please don't do this. When a character flaw is brought out in maybe, maybe a you, there's just some, you know, you're just always coarse jesting, making fun of people. And then somebody comes up to and says, you know, you're always making fun of people. And, or, or somebody's praying and, and you know, there's three of you there. And, and there, you know, a brother comes up and says, and usually uh, I do that because I have, I, have, I have a gifting of exhortation. So to me, I want to move you on. That's just, that's just how I am. I want to move you on. And if, it's, if you're just making fun of people, stop it. Don't do it anymore. It's just, it just doesn't, doesn't help the person you're reaching and it doesn't reflect the love of God. And so that's probably what, you know, depending on our relationships, that's what I would do with you. But here's what I see, and please, you might find this in your life, but please don't do this. Let's say there's three of us. I'm talking to so-and-so about that, and you're there, and while you're listening to us talk, your response in the conversation is, well, you know, that's just so-and-so. You go, what do you mean that's just so-and-so? Yeah, that, that's just so-and-so. That's just how they are. Well, I know that's how they are, but that's not how God wants them. But the pattern is, instead of really helping a brother, you just make an excuse for them. Well, that's just so-and-so. I know, and it's a problem. No, 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 that's just so-and-so. It's just the way he is. I know, and so do you. So why would we allow a brother to continue to stumble along? He's not going to finish his race well if you don't help him, or you don't receive the help yourself. So maybe it's not a three-way conversation. Maybe it's, hey, brother, you're just like, hey, man, it's just the way I am. I know, and you need to stop it. No, you know, that's just how I was raised. I know. It doesn't matter what you say. If God is leading you to make a decision, you need to learn that's just another opportunity to wholly follow the Lord your God. You don't want to continue on in that pattern. Maybe it's not making fun of people. Maybe you just got a tripped out anger problem. Well, that's just who I am. I know. And so does everyone else that has to deal with your flipped out anger problem. <laughs> and you need to stop. You know how I was before I got saved? I was the kind of person that was so angry and so violent that I'd throw things across the house, the, our apartment. I'd punch holes and kick doors down in my own house. My house, not your house, my house. It was so bad, and my wife was so gracious that she would move the pictures around and move things around so that if you would visit my house, you'd say, wait a minute, kind of pictures in a different place. Oh, I'm just rearranging. No, Ed was being an idiot again, and he was mad, and he threw something, and he threw it through the door, and we don't have enough money to fix the door so I just moved. She would never say it. She was so gracious. Even as an unbeliever, she was nice that way. But that's how I was. And so if that ever comes out in my life right now, you can't just say, well, that's Ed. Because Ed's a man of God. He needs to serve wholly following the Lord. I don't need to make an excuse for myself. I don't want my wife to make an excuse for me. I don't want you to make an excuse for me. And I don't want to make an excuse for you. You want to finish well like Caleb? Make this your testimony. Don't let people just say, well, that's just him. No, you want people to say, he wholly follows the Lord. You want to say it, you want somebody else to say it, and then when the finish, when the final book is written on your life, whoever writes it, you want them to say it. My dad, my brother, my friend, my son followed wholly after the things of God. That's how Caleb took his mountain. Number five, excuse me, number four. A real important one is Caleb refused to compromise. Caleb refused to compromise. One of the things that Caleb didn't deal with was the fear of man. I know many believers do, but we don't need to fear man. The fear of God always trumps the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of man is a spiritual trap leading to bad decisions. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That's cool. The fear of man is a trap. And as we live our lives for Jesus, we're going to face temptation after temptation to cave into peer pressures and fear man and compromise our faith. And no doubt Caleb faced hundreds, if not thousands, of opportunities to compromise. 
You know, you think, well, if I take a stand for Jesus in my workplace, then, then I might get fired. You might get fired. But if you don't take a stand, you're going to live in compromise. You're going to have a job with compromise, or you're going to stand in righteousness, holy following the Lord. Either way, God's got your back. You say, well, Ed, if I take a stand, you know, for righteousness, I I might lose some friends. What kind of friends do you have that would ditch you for doing the right thing? That doesn't sound like friendship to me. That sounds like unfriendship. I couldn't think of anything fast enough. (laughs) I'm sure there's a a word for it. But you know, the peer pressure, we often talk about peer pressure among the kids. You know, peer pressure is with us all the time. It's not just a high school thing. There's always kind of pressure to do the wrong thing. There's always pressure. You might even face physical persecution for your faith, as many of our brothers around the world are today. But if you're going to wholly follow the Lord, Caleb was able to stand here this day because in this, I think it's a sub portion of holy falling lord he didn't compromise and he didn't deal with the fear of man and he's standing here very much boldly you know you you know how if you take a bold stand and you stand in front of people and you make a bold statement you know people aren't going to like you he's doing this and he could care less he doesn't care if they make fun of his age because i'm sure he had limitations i'm sure in his heart of hearts he believed he could take on the giants and he did in the power of god but if you looked at him you go whoa you know you're taking you know and you know how it is you're like well, what do you think about that eric i don't know how many giants do you think he could take on before i mean i don't think he can take you know i don't know you know you you have you, you start thinking that way but he it wasn't even in his mind he didn't care what you thought you could think whatever you want you know why he wants his mountain you're gonna have to have that resolve or you're not gonna finish very well or you're going to slow down your race, or even worse, you're going to disqualify yourself because of the fear of man. And you find out, those of you that have been trapped by the fear of man, you find out it's not that big a deal after all. The fear of God is always wisdom, not man. Number five, two more and then we'll be done. Number five is what made or what allowed Caleb to finish his race so well? How could he be all in? Number five, he, he believed God's word. He didn't just quote it, he believed it. This was the pattern in Caleb's life. He believed the word of God. He believed it when Moses shared it. Surrounded with complainers and murmurers who often cried out wanting to return to Egypt. Do you guys recall? This group wanted to go back for the onions and the leeks. And why did you deliver us? This is crazy. We don't want. But in the midst of all that, we don't read of any time Caleb joined in. He didn't want to return to Egypt. He wanted his mountain. He wanted the promise of God. It's interesting to me how the devil loves to exaggerate our past when he tries to pull us down and pull us back. The devil will often whisper in our ears, remember the good old days? Do you remember? Oh yeah, they were good. You miss those times, huh? Where are those friends? You haven't been smiling. You know, this following God thing is really tough. You don't, don't you remember the good old days? I like what Greg Laurie writes in his commentary. He writes this, and I quote, the devil is clever He doesn't say, remember when you were so miserable that you actually considered suicide. Remember the times you were so drunk that you didn't even know where you were when you woke up. Remember when your marriage almost fell apart. He'll only remind you of a few of the good times when you had in order to draw you back. He did this to the Israelites and they went right along with it, not Caleb. Oh, do you remember the party you went to? It was so great. Yeah, do do you remember when you woke up in your own vomit? No, I don't remember that. Well, let me tell you about it. We got a picture right here, Instagram, right here. We didn't have Instagram back then, or we'd have, see, again, multi-generational. Praise God we didn't have. (laughs) Praise God. All right? That's good, because I want my past to be the past. I've got enough horrible memories in my head. I don't need to see it on Instagram or Facebook. That's another Bible study, by the way. You just, number six. (laughs) Caleb believed God's word, not the murmuring complainers all around him. And number six, what helped Caleb so much? He worshiped God regularly. That's what got him through it. He was a worshiper of God. Caleb heard Moses. He received the word of God more than man. He meditated on it. He thought it over. He chewed it over. 
and he lived in the truth of God's word even if what he saw didn't match it yet. Remember that. He lived in the word of God. He meditated on the word of God. He, it, there's a Bible word for that. I'll give it to you in a second. But he lived in such a way that even though he didn't see it come to pass yet, he continued on worshiping God. The Bible word for that? Hope. The Bible says that hope does not disappoint. But hope is often seen or experienced in our lives when the circumstances don't match the promises yet. Make sure that word's in your vocabulary when it comes to the things of God. Yet. Hope does not disappoint. It's no coincidence, down in verse 14, that Hebron is connected to Caleb. Literally, it means fellowship and love and communion, the word Hebron. It's where Abraham met God face to face and received the promise of the new land. And Caleb's mind was focused on worship and communion. Give me my land. I want what God promised me. And yet there are those who didn't do so well as Caleb. Just by way of review, if you didn't catch them. Number one, Caleb remembered and meditated on the right things. Number two, Caleb patiently persevered. Number three, Caleb gave 100% and held nothing back. Number four, Caleb refused to compromise. Number five, Caleb believed and acted on God's word. And number six, Caleb worshiped God regularly. And yet, there are those who do not do as well as Caleb. They started out great with great potential, but did not find their way across the finish line. Maybe you're one of these people. Maybe I'm describing you. Maybe you've become sidetracked. Maybe there was a time when you had an intense commitment to Jesus, but other things have begun to crowd him out. It's not too late, men. I hope that, that you will not let your life be wasted. It's not too late. Wherever you are right now, you can get right back up. The Bible says though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. You can get back up. You can put your shoes back on. You can get back into the race. Is it going to cost you? Oh, yeah. But the life you've been living has been costing you far more. The life that you've been living, not wholly serving the Lord, not wholly going for it. Everyone's been paying a price for that. But there's great benefit when you get back into the race. So that, hey, how many years you have, you've got the promise of God and you stand there with great confidence and you go, give me my mountain. You said I was going to get it, God. I know the giants are still there. I knew they were there 45 years ago. I don't care. I'll take them on. I'm just as strong today as I was back then. You could say that perhaps not physically, but certainly spiritually. You could even say this as you walk with the Lord, that, hey, I'm stronger now in my walk of faith than I was back then. Give me my mountain. Give it to me. I want it. What do you have? What do you need to write down today in your notes? What has God promised you that you need to stand for it and say, God, I, I, I want this by faith? What has he promised you? What promise in the scriptures? What, what issue are you? Is, is it for you? Give me my son. Is that it? Then you claim that unto the Lord. Is it give me my marriage? Is it give me my home? Is it give me my integrity? Give me my character. What, what is it? What is it that you can claim from God? Do it. And then follow through with the example of Caleb all the way to the end. Because ultimately, when you and I see Jesus face to face, it will all be consummated. We will be in the presence of the Lord and he will fulfill all the desires of your heart. And all along the way, hey, I want you to finish your race well. Not to fall to the side and be disqualified and only be a memory. And only be, wasn't so-and-so. What happened to so-and-so? Have you seen so-and-so? I haven't seen him in a while. But rather, you are so prominent in your church and in your community that we can't help but see the good works Right? That's what Jesus said. You do, your, you, you do your good deeds not to be seen by men, but to be seen by the Father who will reward you openly for what you've done to him, for him and to him. So God, we do want to follow the footsteps of Caleb um, and many others that, through the scriptures that have given the testimony of faithfulness. And so I do pray right now for outpouring of your Holy Spirit that wherever we lack, you would encourage us. I know that 
Caleb is such an encouragement that some moms and dads have named their kids after him. What a privilege. What an honor to have kids named after you because of the godly heritage, because of what your name means and what the name means and what the heritage is. And may we be people, Lord, that can be emulated, like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ and rise up the men of our churches. Lord, if you were just to rise up one more man in our church, I would receive it as from you. But what if you gave us 20 or 30 who would be more interested in the things of God than in their own uh, little deal of life? It would not only build your kingdom, but it would bless that brother. And so I pray for those that are listening to me, both near and far, that you would stir up with love and good works the men of your church, the men of our community, the men, the men, Lord, the men. Give us men. Your word says your eyes are going to and fro across the whole earth, looking for those you can show yourself strong on behalf of. And may your eyes stop here in this room, in this moment, and see men you will show yourself strong on behalf of. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys. One of the things that Eric and I were talking about beforehand is that maybe there's just a sense where you need somebody to pray with you. Um, um, maybe part of the messages touched you or something that happened at lunch. Somebody, brother, shared, your, shared a scripture with you or shared his heart with you and you just, really the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. Um, the elders and the pastors that are here today, and that includes pastors from every church. El, if you're an elder in your church, we would include you as well, a spiritual leader. Um, during this last song, if you're a pastor or an elder, why don't you just get up from where you're at and walk up here so you can present yourself to the men so the men can come to you and you can lay hands on them and pray with them. Um, that you can leave here just with a sense that you heard from the Lord, you've acknowledged it, and you make a commitment in front of someone else. And if that's something you need, great. If it's not something you need, that's fantastic too. You can leave here uh, with the strength of the Lord. But during this last song, um, it'll give you a chance just like, you know what? I need this in my life. And I'm not a big proponent of this rededication. I rededicate every time I go somewhere. But I am a proponent of this. If you are in a place where you must rededicate, then do it. Just do it. Maybe this will be the last time you have to do this. The very last time. And just say, man, no more of this pattern of back and forth, back and forth. You're, you hate it as much as, uh, as, as much as the Lord doesn't like it in your life. He doesn't want you going back and forth, back and forth. So if you guys are pastors, why don't you come up right now during this song. And uh, guys, why don't we all stand together and Bryn will lead us in song. And, and uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon, upon you. May your way be strengthened today. May your faith be built up. May the blessing of the Lord leave with you today and that you just in a small and very significant way make a difference because of coming to this conference. You know, often we used to sing that song back in the day, um, back in the day when, before they created uh, MP3s, we used to listen on 8-track tapes, if you remember that. Anybody remember 8-track tapes? All right. So, CDs or cassette tapes, cassette tapes. We used to sing that song, You'll, they were blessed because they came. You'll be blessed because you came, I think is how it goes. And I just want, because you're here, you are blessed because you came, automatically, besides what God has done. And... If you're listening to this on CD or MP3 on a computer somewhere or your phone, you're blessed because you're digging in. You, maybe you couldn't be here physically, but you're taking the time right now. You're blessed. Now let's walk in the blessing of God. And the guys are up here if you need prayer. Come on up and let's let God finish the work through His Spirit by prayer and worship.